break 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 You're listening to Breakthrough News, and this is The Punch-Out. We're following the news all day so you don't have to, giving you everything you need to know about what's in the headlines and what should be. And yes, we are back here on The Punch-Out, 19th of October, 2021. Very happy to be back with you here on the show. We got plenty for you here on the show, as we always do. We're going to be talking about the seemingly never-ending billionaire cash bonanza during the pandemic. We're going to be talking about connections between the assassination of Haiti's de facto president and Bolivia's current president. Interesting connections there. But before we get to either of those two very important stories, we want to talk about the 50% of kids in the United States being exposed to lead poison. A new study from Boston University Hospital and Quest Diagnostics has revealed that half of all children in the United States under the age of six have lead in their blood. There is no safe level for lead, so that means half of all United States kids under six have poison running through their veins. As we learned, starting with the Flint water crisis, there is a major problem with lead in U.S. drinking water that has affected millions, and that problem is quite serious. As the Environmental Working Group points out, quote, there is no safe level of exposure to lead, a potent neurotoxin. Lead exposure can cause an array of health problems, including brain damage and lowered IQ, among other issues. Because of their developing bodies, babies and young children are especially vulnerable to the effects of lead exposure. And yet, half of all U.S. kids under the age of six have lead poison in their veins. It isn't just water that's doing it either. It's also the paint from older buildings that they live in and also lead-contaminated dust, which comes from those same old buildings. The report notes that, quote, children living at or below the poverty line in older housing or in communities with high concentrations of poverty are at the greatest risk of toxic effects from lead. And they also note that it has an even greater effect because those in poorer households suffer more from malnutrition, which can enhance the effects of lead poisoning. As the report notes, quote, iron deficiency has been associated with a four to five fold increase in the baseline risk of harm from lead because of increased absorption in the gastrointestinal tract. That is having an iron deficiency means you actually absorb more lead in the blood and you're more likely to have an iron deficiency if you live in a poor household. The report also found that some states had very high levels of detectable lead in the blood of children. In Nebraska, 83% of those tested had lead in their blood. Missouri, 82%. Michigan, 78%. Iowa, 76%. Utah, 73%. As it concerns the issue of the relationship to poverty, the report noted that the likelihood of having lead in your blood increases the less means you have. So they divided the results into economic quintiles, that's fifths basically, and found that 60.2% of children in the poorest fifth had lead in their blood as compared to 38% in the wealthiest fifth, which if you think about it, is quite a statement that over a third of the wealthiest children under six are still being regularly exposed to poison. 
The report also noted a difference based on race. They looked at zip codes that were majority black, majority Latino, and majority white. 57.6% of children under six in majority black zip codes had lead in their blood, 55.8% of Latinos, and 48.7% of whites. Clearly, the situation is dire, and that has been known for quite some time. In fact, many of you listening to this today probably have heard something generally about this and have some general idea that there is a lead crisis, that it's bad, and that something should be done. And a few things are being done, but not nearly enough. The White House and conservatives in Congress are crowing that the infrastructure bill endorsed by both parties has $55 billion in it to address water infrastructure. The funding gap for water infrastructure, however, is $434 billion. So ultimately, the infrastructure bill will not make sure there is no poison in the water. That is, again, it will not make sure that there is no poison in the water. The same can be said of old buildings. In fact, funding to improve housing for lower income people is one of the main things slated to be cut in the budget reconciliation bill. So there you have it. The mass poisoning of millions of children and the government seems set to not solve the problem. At a press conference yesterday, the Bolivian government revealed that at least two of the mercenaries implicated in the murder of Haiti's de facto president, Jovenel Moise, earlier this year, were also involved in a plot against Bolivia's current president, Luis Arce. The revelation comes from investigations into the forces who launched a coup in Bolivia that ruled for several months and was considering using armed action to prevent Arce from assuming office in late 2020 after he won elections there. One of the people mentioned by Bolivian authorities is Herman Rivera Garcia. He was one of the mercenaries who is alleged to have played a major role in the assassination, both being involved in the raid, but also playing a role in helping to recruit mercenaries in Colombia, which he was well-placed to do as a former army officer, and also communicating with key figures on the ground in Haiti. He allegedly played a key role in handling money for the plot. Notably, the other link between the assassination and the plot against Bolivia's president was Pratel Ortiz, one of the owners of CTU Security. That was a security firm based out of Florida and with close links to right-wing forces in Colombia and Venezuela, including the president of Colombia, Ivan Duque, who were behind hiring the mercenaries for the assassination in Haiti. In the Bolivian case, the two were said to be linked to a plot involving Luis Fernando Lopez, the minister of defense in the coup government there, who, according to reporting by The Intercept, was involved in conversations with members of Bolivia's military and right-wing activists based in the United States, both former employees of the U.S. Army, to try to use private security firms as a cover to bring in U.S. special forces to try to find a way to block our safe from assuming the presidency in Bolivia despite being duly elected. The connection between the two issues is just another layer of the onion of right-wing pro-imperialist forces in Latin America being peeled back. There's a clear connection between right-wing governments like those in Colombia and Guatemala who have huge security forces trained heavily by the United States and schooled in repressing popular movements, where top officials in the same governments have all sorts of shady ties and links to private security forces, right-wing activists in corporate circles, and so on that are working at waging a multifaceted war against the broader progressive movement on the continent. We can add to the Bolivian plot the low-intensity warfare being waged by right-wing paramilitaries in Venezuela to the various things being conducted by this network. And this whole thing is really worth taking into consideration when we consider next year's election in Brazil, where forces aligned with current President Jair Bolsonaro appear to be preparing for 
the possibility, at least, of a coup or some other form of armed action in the event Bolsonaro loses at the polls in 2022, which seems quite likely. So by hook or by crook, the forces pushing the agenda of the ultra elites in Latin America are looking to destroy the moves to the left in the continent. And these various plots in Haiti and Bolivia are revealing the machinery by which they are attempting to do so. The good times keep on rolling for U.S. billionaires during the pandemic. As the Institute for Policy Studies reports, quote, America's billionaires have grown $2.1 trillion richer during the pandemic, their collective fortune skyrocketing by 70%, from just short of $3 trillion at the start of the COVID crisis to over $5 trillion on October 15th of this year. IPS goes on to note that, quote, the $5 trillion in wealth now held by 745 billionaires is two-thirds more than the $3 trillion in wealth held by the bottom 50% of U.S. households. They also detail that, quote, the country's 25 top billionaires paid a tax rate of just 3.4% on a $400 billion increase in their collective fortune between 2014 and 2018. And they further note that, quote, on average, billionaires pay an effective federal income tax rate of 8% when the increased value of their stock is counted, according to the White House. This is a lower rate than many middle-income taxpayers pay, like teachers, nurses, and firefighters. To put this in perspective, in front of Congress right now is a $3.5 trillion budget reconciliation bill that, among other things, would make community college free, send hundreds of dollars to working-class families each month, expand Medicare and Medicaid to cover millions in health care, make health care cheaper for senior citizens, tackle the repair backlog in public housing, and move towards an 80% clean energy standard by 2030. If you took the entire cost of that from the wealth of billionaires, each billionaire in the U.S. would still have $2 billion left. Again, You could pay for the entire budget reconciliation bill with the wealth of 745 billionaires. And after that three and a half trillion dollars was taken away, they would all still be billionaires. Literally, they would remain some of the richest people on the planet. And while we're on that subject, another interesting fact is that U.S. corporations have spent $870 billion this year in share buybacks. Share buybacks by corporations are designed to enrich big Wall Street investors. Basically, what companies do is they buy back stock from investors in large amounts periodically to make the stock more attractive. If you know that if you hold large amounts of a stock, that companies are liable to make sure you get a profitable price for a portion of those shares each year or a couple times a year or just regularly, then you will want to hold that stock. You'll be rewarded for it. Buybacks are preferred over dividends by corporations because even though they serve essentially the same role, they can be done whenever and however, rather than the set structure of a dividend where you have to give out a certain amount every year. So it's an easy way to reward super rich Wall Street investors for owning your stock by making them richer. As the Financial Times notes about these buybacks, they quote, suggest that corporate America is now flush with cash, end quote. Despite all this, the Business Roundtable, the lobbying group for America's largest corporations, is saying they can't pay a dime more in taxes to fund the budget reconciliation bill. All told, you can see that there's a hell of a con being committed on Capitol Hill. The wealthiest people and the wealthiest corporations have more money than they know what to do with, but they have all their lobbyists and bought and paid for politicians arguing that above all else, the one thing that they can't do is help working and poor people at all. That's the punch out for today. 
We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. here in New York East Coast Standard Time, 2 p.m. in Los Angeles Pacific Standard Time, and 9 p.m. GMT. And of course, you can support everything we do here at Breakthrough News at patreon.com slash breakthrough news. It's your patronage that keeps all of our offerings here at Breakthrough News moving forward. And of course, you can check us out across all your social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at BT Newsroom. 